Hi, welcome to What's on Your Mind. I'm Peter Snowart. And what can we learn today from Rihanna Milne? Rihanna who? Rihanna Milne. She's a quite famous US life and love coach. And we talk about the childhood traumas impacting our future relationships. Also, what is a narcissist and how can you detect a narcissistic person? And much more about relationships and dating tips. It's a very special a unique uh, conversation with Rihanna Milde. Enjoy. Bye-bye. Welcome to What's on Your Mind with Peter Snowart. Every week a guest talks about his or her story and that story can inspire you to change your own. Here's Peter. So nice to meet you, Rihanna. That's the right pronunciation of your name, eh? It is Rihanna Milne. Mm-hmm. Cool. Now you are, I see you are a life love mindset coach, but I mean, the life and the mindset, it's great, but I want to talk about the love part. Yes. I'm a love Because trauma recovery coach. We didn't have enough yeah. spaces for that. <laughs> yeah. First of all, why? Because most people that I know who are in the love coaching business or in relationship uh, uh, therapy, they, at least that's my perception, in order to be credible, credible you have to have... Also, if you have one relationship, it doesn't make any, it doesn't give you credibility. Why did you become, why, why the specialization in the love relationship, narcissistic, uh, the healing, the trauma? Why, 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 why is that calling you? Okay. Well, I did graduate with a triple master's in applied clinical and counseling psychology. So as a psychotherapist, you're seeing a lot of couples in crisis But I also worked in every grade level in the schools, kindergarten through college. I worked in a mental health ward of a hospital for kids ages five through 19. And I worked in drug and alcohol rehab centers because I'm a, an addictions counselor as well. So one was for teens and one was women from the prison system. And no matter the age, the culture, the background, the country, uh, whether they were straight or LGBTQ, there was no difference These top 10 childhood traumas kept coming up and impacting them in their current lives as young adults or adults. And I didn't get into this specialized study until I had two love traumas. The first one, you just figure, oh, well, um, you move on. And then when it happens a second time and you go to seven psychotherapy friends and you don't understand why. Your ex-husband had a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality type and where that comes from. You know, in my program of study, we never heard about childhood trauma. We might have heard about attachment theory. We might have heard about, you know, other things, post-traumatic stress disorder. But that was always around soldiers or witnessing death, not trauma of the self in life or in love relationships. So when it happened to me, I wanted to look further. I needed to heal myself. And that's how my research started. And in the research, I started using my own experience with a population I was working with, with what I had experienced and started writing. And that led to my number one bestseller, Love Beyond Your Dreams, Break Free of Toxic Relationships to Have the Love You Deserve. It's 400 pages. But my, my research kept going, and then I, I did workbooks for singles and for couples to heal from this. Um, so that's how the coaching evolved, and I really wanted to take this message to the world. 
As a psychotherapist, I'm limited to one state. As a coach, I can go global. And that's what I decided to do in 2017, take this message globally. Um, so I appreciate you, Peter, like helping this change the way the world loves. Um, yeah, because um, and yeah, I have also been through one divorce. So I remarried also seven years ago. I mean, in terms of relationships, um, I had a lot and I cannot say I'm an expert. Um, how, I mean, to start with your ex-partner, ex-husband, I assume that you were in a toxic relationship? Is well, when you have a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde personality type, one part of them is outstanding. Okay. We had a, an amazing romantic relationship. We traveled the world together. We had a lot of fun. We were great dance partners. Mm -hmm. uh, we both loved our careers. So everything looked perfect. And then he had a secret life that happened to explode on him in the school he was working in. Um, so okay. there's some confidentiality. I can't go yeah, into Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. But, okay. you know, I mean, it ruined his life. He lost his career, his reputation. And because he was involved and I was married to him, it impacted me, my yeah. career, you know, and I had to clean up the pieces because he ran out of town in shame and embarrassment. So mm. it was a big jolt and change in my life and what I thought we would have for our retirement years. Um, but the research really helped me find forgiveness because I was able to identify he had nine out of the 10 childhood traumas mm -hmm. and they were quite severe an impact level of about a nine. Okay. So it made me understand why he did what he did. And when I finished the book, I sent him a copy because, oh my God, put my picture on the cover. I'm the poster child of this, but I finally understand why I sabotage everything I love. And, and that was a big healing moment, not only for myself, but for him. And it led to forgiveness. Um, and then I said, this could heal so many more people if they really knew and understand what was going on within their relationships. Interesting. And why Inter they pick the partners they do to begin with. Yeah, yeah. Interesting topic. I think we will not have enough time for one session of an hour. <laughs> um, okay, let's start with this. You you mentioned the nine of the ten childhood traumas. Of course, I want to know, we want to know what are the childhood traumas. And I assume that everybody has been traumatized in some kind of way. I mean, I think <laughs> assuming that we are perfect and we don't have traumas, even when you grew up in a in a very loving and, and kind, uh, warm nest, I mean, you still, I assume... You, for instance, the father, he was nice, but he was emotionally not present. He did not know how to express his emotions properly or he ran away physically or mentally. Because some men, which I did in the past, can run away in their head. You are there, but mentally you're like, this is way too complex. This, And I say, yes, 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 yes. But you're thinking by yourself, so, I mean, just being there, grounded, listening, trying to understand the other party and then, um, yeah, giving that sense of understand, uh, understanding. So, so what, are, what, are the ten, what are the 10 childhood traumas? Actually more. Okay. Um, I want to preface it with my research when I was doing this in 2011 and 12 said nine out of 10 people have at least one to three on this list. Okay. This year it has come out. There's always newer research that everyone has experienced 
childhood traumas or traumas in their life. And there is big T and little t trauma. So little t trauma mm. is these emotional things over time, repeatedly. No, no. Big T trauma is what most people would say, well, I didn't have any trauma when I grew up, which could mm -hmm. be born with a physical impairment, um, having a major car accident, you know, losing a parent while young. That's a big T trauma. But the research shows and the science shows that whether big or little t trauma, it's the same impact in the brain and the body cells. Yep. Mm -hmm. And childhood trauma goes through at least three generations. So if you recognize yourself in this list of having them, your parents had them and so did your grandparents have them. So at yes. least three generations. And really it's not your fault because as a child, you were just a product of your environment. There's nothing you can do as a child to change mm -hmm. or control what happens around you. So I wanted to really um, explain that before I go into the top 10, that, you know, we're not looking to blame your parents at this stage of life and we're not- They did their best, eh? they did their best. Eh? Right, did the best they can and you don't wanna feel any shame or guilt that you might've experienced any of these. And I always say you can't change what you don't acknowledge or understand. So you have to understand the root of issues before we can change them. Okay, so the first one is, did your caretakers while you were young have any of these things? So the first one is addiction. And okay. there's many addictions, so I'm going to name them, which would be drugs, alcohol, sex, meaning you knew your parent was a cheater, okay. porn, gambling, hoarding, okay. spending, eating, gaming, TV watching, workaholism, and the last one I've added recently is social media addiction. Yeah, okay. On the mm -hmm. computer more than you are interacting with your child. The addiction always comes first before the interaction with the child. So that's number one. Number two is verbal abuse or messages that we hear. So that could include watching mom and dad fighting a lot. It could be verbal put downs or yelling and screaming at you. It could be getting the silent treatment where they ignore you for hours or days at a time. It could be never hearing the words, I love you. Mm -hmm. Or hearing compliments like, I'm proud of you, kiddo. Good job. I know you worked hard on that test. You got to be. That's okay. I saw you studying hard anyway. Mm -hmm. You know, so just those verbal accolades, which us baby boomer generations never heard the words, I love you, and barely got compliments. Um, here in the U.S., my parents grew up in the Great Depression, and I asked my mom, why don't you say the words, I love you, to us five kids? And she said, well, I didn't hear those words. We grew up in the depression. It was all about work and survival. So I said, aha, you know, and that's a clear message of this generational pull of what happens right through mm -hmm. time. Okay. The third one is emotional abuse or neglect. The fourth one is any physical abuse like beating or hitting. And mm -hmm. this could happen inside or outside of the home. Like you said, Peter, you can have a really nice idyllic family life, but get beat up at school by the bully. No. Okay, so this is just childhood experiences. Um, it could be rape, molestation, date rape, anything like that is in category four. Trauma five would be around abandonment. And I named two types, fault and no fault abandonment. So a no fault abandonment would be like losing your parent very early in life. Mm -hmm. It would be losing your parent as they go off to serve their country for war. Mm -hmm. It would be... Um, like you said, they are there personally, but are not emotionally present. They're checked mm. out. 
So that could be the workaholic dad works all day, come home, locks himself in his office all night, barely talks to you. Or the football dad, you know, that happens a lot in America. I hear my own kids in therapy uh, who would say, Miss Rihanna, why do I have to go visit my dad? He doesn't pay attention to me all weekend. He's watching football, you know, so that kid feels very lonely and abandoned. Um, so that is called a fault abandonment. A uh, fault abandonment would also be if um, they worked a lot. Um, I'm sorry. A no fault abandonment would be also if they worked away from the family home, but that's how they supported the family. So in their mind, they're doing a good thing. The fault abandonment would never be involved with your child at all, or you were involved while the couple stayed together or the marriage was together. Once it broke up, you barely saw your child. So those yeah. are the difference between fault and no fault abandonment. The next one would be if you were adopted, part of the foster care system, or had to live in another person's home because your parents lost their home or mm -hmm. they couldn't keep you. There were too many kids, so they put you in grandma or an aunt's home mm -hmm. or family friend, something like that. Trauma number seven is the one that most people identify with. This is called personal trauma. So it's if you felt different in any way. So you could have been an overweight and chubby child. You could have been skinny and gawky and called the nerd. You could have had a medical issue that made you feel different or even identified as ADHD in the schools. Mm -hmm. I worked with those kids. I know they felt different and hated being pulled out for special classes. Um, you could have been coming out as a gay or lesbian teen and felt different and not accepted. You could have been the only African-American in all Caucasian school. So there's many ways, you know, whether it's racial, cultural, economic status, and many ways that you just felt different or didn't fit in. Mm -hmm. uh, that's seven. Trauma eight is around the sibling. So your sibling could have bullied you. You um, could have been compared to the sibling. They were smarter than you, more handsome, more beautiful, or the star student. Mo most often you identify your sibling as the golden child. It also could be if they were born with a medical issue, so mom and dad had to spend more time with them, kind of leaving you off to the side. Mm -hmm. Trauma nine has two traumas. One had to be brought down from the bigger list. And that okay. one brought down was called community trauma. When I was growing up, there was barely any community trauma. Now it's happening all the time. So this could be our mother nature events, floods, fires, yeah. hurricanes, yeah. tornadoes, wiping out whole communities. It is certainly the COVID pandemic, which is, an, an, uh, you know, really influencing all of us around the globe. Um, our children, you know, needing to not, can't go to school, wearing masks, can't play with their friends or can't give their friends a hug. That will be impacting them as they become adults. You know, the fear-based thing that you'll get sick. Um, and that has impacted all of us. The uh, other community traumas would be our mass shootings, like school shootings, community mm -hmm. shootings. So there's many of that going on, unfortunately, today. In my state where I live, Florida, in the USA, we just had this big building collapse. Suddenly, you know, a condo building, which I know is being broadcast all over the world, that is certainly, you know, a big trauma for the, the community at large. And then these community traumas impact the family, of course. Um, with COVID, people have lost their jobs, their homes here in the USA. 
Um, it is also family trauma if you grew up in a dangerous neighborhood. You're part of a military family that has to move every two to four years, and that puts the children as the new kid in the school all the time. It could be a parent was incarcerated. So there's many ways that a family could be impacted. Another one that impacts people in business in the future is growing up with a lot of lack messages. We don't have monies to pay the bill. We mm. have, you know, we don't have money to get you what you want. These lack messages do play with our minds if you're an entrepreneur. Yep. And the last one is mental health issues in mom or dad. The two most difficult for children, one is bipolar, which is manic depressive. Manic phase can be high and happy, but it's often tied to an addiction like a gambling spree, spending spree, eating binge. Depression can show up as anger, checking out emotionally or extreme fatigue. And uh, the other one is borderline personality disorder, which I describe easily as erratic moods. When they're good, they're great. When they're bad, they're horrid, and you never know what you're going to get. Mm -hmm. So that leaves a child in an overly anxious state. Most clients I have that come to me are always constantly anxious. Mm -hmm. So those are the top 10 traumas. Now, of course, um, and it's a general question, can we do something about it? Can we break that pattern, that, that pattern so that the generations after me, uh, my child or child, doesn't have that anymore? I mean... Yes, that's the good news. <laughs> that's what I do. That's my work. And as a certified clinical trauma professional, uh, it takes a while. We are training the unconscious mind and the norms that mm. you grew up with into full conscious awareness so that you think before you do say and act. Um, yeah. There's a lot of negative fear-based thinking with people with unhealed trauma. That changes into positive, confident thinking. So it takes a while, you know, to break these norms and patterns that don't serve you or your yeah. relationships. So I work with people four to six months and usually one-on-one. -on -one. So I can really gear into what their traumas are I look at the level of severity, one to 10, and then, you know, help them in their particular areas of how this is showing up. Oh, cool. Now, um, you also mentioned uh, toxic relationships. I mean, I, I find it a very generic word. How can you detect, because I assume a lot, a lot of people are not even aware that they are in a toxic relationship because they're so used to it. How can you detect a toxic relationship, Mariana? Toxic is anything that makes you feel sick. So okay. you could get headaches, stomach aches, you're not able to sleep because you're worried at night. Uh, you go through this cycle of when it's good, it's great. When it's bad, it's horrid. It's this top, you know, they call it the cycle of domestic abuse. Um, and we have something called RRS, Relationship Repetition Syndrome. So people in a toxic relationship, they the one person is consciously aware, like, this is partner's not good for me. So mm -hmm. then they break up. But then mm -hmm. the overwhelming feeling of loss and abandonment and the thinking, well, he had some good traits and he's promised me, he, me he's going to change and she takes him back. Then it's good for about 10 days to two weeks and then it starts again. So the research show these relationships break up and get back together an average of seven times. That's a toxic relationship. 
So no. this is also a uh, view that there is love addiction going on. There's codependency. Very often these people have abandonment issues from their past um, that they hold on too long or too tight. They're too clingy. Uh, but that's a sign of emotional abandonment. And there are other signs of how this shows up in relationships. Now, um, imagine you are in an toxic relationship. I mean, um, you just should quit or because you just explained about the traumas or you just advise your partner to heal themselves, which can be a very delicate thing to say to your partner because you're pointing to somebody else and eh? because there's always a part of you who is also involved. That's right. Now, remember, 100% people have trauma. It's easy to pick out the trauma in your partner, but you got to look at yourselves. Right? Mm -hmm. Again, you can't change what you don't acknowledge. So usually people of trauma attract people of trauma. The more traumatic their backgrounds, the more passionate it is in the beginning. Uh, it looks like to them the ideal relationship. They pay a ton of attention. They're texting. They're bringing you gifts. They want a fast marriage. And that person takes it as a compliment. Well, that is actually a red flag. Um, and what is well, happening? Wait, 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 wait. So, so what you're saying, it's a red flag. So your advice is to take things very slowly and also another another and, and yeah and another thing that i learned which uh, one of my colleagues are 24 and 25 i'm 46 and they asked me what is good relationship advice and i'm not going to shock you but uh, i say and it's going to it sounds very strange wait as long as you can with the physical aspect don't do it immediately wait for weeks even for months it sounds really stupid i've done it and it is not a recipe for success because it makes you not talking to each other and you are in a kind of oxytocin i was the name the the, the hug hormone where you are in some kind of atmosphere of pink and, and everything is is, is, is fantastic but it's not conscious and it's, it creates some kind of codependency thing where it's not real. The 90-day the, the rule. 90 days, which is three months or okay. till about 11 or 12 days. Become friends first. Uh, really get to know that partner. Again, chemistry is the worst way to fall in love because you are attracting. The brain likes to keep the body in homeostasis. It likes what it knows. It likes what it considers normal. So your brain will be attracting chemistry to the dysfunctional patterns of your past. Okay. And that's why you want to slow things down and wait. Is this person emotionally healthy? Are they evolved? Meaning being their highest and their best self. Do you have enough things in common? Do you have the same um, vision for your future? You know, it's not about, is it, are they hot or not? That is not the criteria for a great relationship. And unfortunately, most people, and I know here in America, we grew up with the fairy tales, Sleeping Beauty, the handsome yeah. prince comes, kisses you, you go off and you're happily ever after. Well, that's ball, you know, that doesn't happen. So I do teach how to date in a whole different way, which I call conscious dating. But there is also, that's, I fully agree, I call it the Disney story. Eh? Um, and, you see, and, you see, and you see it in the rom-coms also. Eh? I mean, can I kiss you? And they like, and everything happens. And it, even, and it creates so, so um, wrong perceptions of the, of the dating thing. 
Um, but there's also an, an parts flying around the brain, and you're more yeah, connected yeah. by the pheromones and the sexual hormones. And God made it that way to procreate the race. I yeah, get yeah. it, you know. But if you want the longer-lasting relationship, you wait. Yeah, yeah. indeed. Now, um, the but there's also another thing that I discovered around my 40s is that, um, and it's a thing that not a lot of people know, but it's so obvious, is that there is some kind of myth, at least in Europe. That's what I believed for years. And I think it's similar in the US. Is that um, in order to be happy, you need to have a partner. And that partner, it's, it's, it's been in songs, eh? I want you to want me, you're my better half and things like that. But the reality is, the real truth is, I mean, the biggest person you will fall in love with is yourself. You are the best love of yourself. You, it's about you. And you don't need anybody else to be happy. If you are not happy with yourself, you will never, ever going to find it in somebody else because you're going to fill the holes in you with another person and trying to compensate. And that's that's a myth that I... I Nobody told me that. I just discovered it throughout my 40s. I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me this? Peter, I have on my website, I have four free love tests, but one of them is called relationship readiness. Are they really ready for a relationship? And it's a one to 10 score and there's 10 items and they all must be settled before you go out and date. Because psychologically, when you have your life together, and everything is great and you're confident and you love your life and you're proud of who you are. Now you're dating from a place of strength, not weakness, not looking for someone to save you, not looking for someone to bail you out financially. No, you know, you've got your life together. Now you go out and you say, wow, I am the whole package. And you want someone else that has their life together as well. And that makes the best relationship too strong, empowered, confident, but loving people, spiritual people too. The research shows two spiritual-based people make the best, happiest, and longest relationships. So a sense of faith has to be in there too. Um, and at all the research also shows four to nine months, these toxic relationships, again, they're so romantic and passionate in the first few months, but months more, four to nine, you start seeing the problems emerge. And this is usually around more of a commitment. So exclusivity, moving in together, getting engaged, getting married, having a baby. Those are the five instances where you can start seeing massive personality changes or more addictions in the person because they're checking out or they're afraid or they're fear-based. So again, it starts with you, like you said, self-love, having your life together, then going out into dating, looking for an equally empowered person. Okay. Now, um, a thing that I notice with a lot of people is that um, they fall in love with each other. They get married. They build a house, get children and things like that. And after a while, like four, five, six, seven years, something like that, the feeling, the magic, the passion is gone. And they're like scared and they're like, yeah, I mean, uh, the passion will be gone. So I have to um, take always new relationships. So they break up, they go in a new relationship and so on. And, and the cycle continues. How, what's your take on that? Is that so? Continue to date your partner. 
It's funny. I had a couple in my therapy office and I asked the guy, well, when was the last time you had a date? And when the eyes go up to the ceiling, you know, you're in trouble. One of those, you know, they can't remember. And he said, well, I don't know, but why do I have to date my wife? I married her. And I said, do you still want sex? And they got really quiet. He goes, well, yeah. I said, well, then she needs to feel special and pretty and get her away from the kids and the to-do list at home. You got to keep romancing her. You got to dress nice, put something nice on, smell good, groom yourself. And ladies, the same thing. You know, with COVID, everyone's at home. They're all in sweatsuits. They're all looking like crap. They're putting weight on, you know, and a lot of couples are falling apart because they lost it. You know, who were you when your partner fell in love with you? Yes, aging is natural. But it doesn't mean you have to gain four pant sizes or dress sizes because you're married. So if you lose, again, that self-love and confidence, what do you expect from your partner? You got to keep yourself sharp for your partner. And you got to keep dating. Take couples vacations. If you have kids, do one major family vacation. Do one major for the couples. You know, for a week, 10 days, two weeks reestablish yourself, you know, go out twice a week. Doesn't have to be expensive. It could be have a bottle of wine on the beach or, you know, take a drive or take a walk or a motorcycle ride, you know, whatever floats your boat, but do something. Just the two of you. Too many adults are focusing on their kids and all the kids activities. And then when the kids are gone, they look at each other and they have nothing. That's a problem. So it's always, I have a, a term for this. It's you and me against the world. So the couple has to put their partner first and then the kids, parents, and then friends, right? So that would be the order of priority. Another mistake is couples go out all the time with groups of friends. So yeah. the ladies sit at one end, the guys sit at the other end. And this is not a romantic date for the couple. That's a problem. I say do three to one, three couples dates to one group date. That would be the formula per month. That's indeed. Uh, and sometimes I see couples and there's no judgment here that they cannot be alone. They always have to have people around. And I'm like, when do you actually talk about stuff? And put your phones away. The phone should not be a priority. You know, put it in your purse, in your pocket. If you're out with your partner, make them the priority. Focus in on them. You know, it's it's a shame. That's what happens. It just slowly erodes with time because people are not taking the time. And even on a daily basis, greet your partner at the door. Give them a kiss, hello, and goodbye. Say thank you and please more often. Be your partner's best friend. Think about it. When you have best friends, you're friends with them for 15, 18 years. And you're a good friend. You, you don't fight over stupid stuff. It's like, that's okay. We'll just disagree on this. Be your partner's best friends. Yeah. And uh, and uh, do you believe that um, is, is a human being made for a one a couple of long term relationships? Because I don't know. There is a lot of discussion about that. I mean, is it, is it also made as a second question for one partner, for one person only? Because you have also a debate about that. I don't know where that I should get the time to have multiple partners. Uh, but what what's your take on that, Rihanna? Because I mean, all relationships suffer if there's affairs going on. There's no doubt about that. 
children are best raised in a stable, loving household. No doubt about that. Um, however, you know, uh, when I hear a woman saying, I'm staying in this toxic, abusive relationship for the kids, it's the worst thing you could do. Kids are better with one strong, emotionally healthy parent than staying in a toxic household. So it's best that you divorce and make sure you and your children are emotionally healthy. If you see signs in your kids that they're struggling by teenagers, either they're there's two types of kids, externalizers and internalizers. The externalizers will act out, yell, scream, you know, run away. That's an externalizer. An internalizer is quiet, alone in their room all the time, cutting, eating disorders, you know. So if you have any sign in your kids, don't think it's just going to go away. And a lot of kids don't like sitting in a therapy office. Get them an online coach. Coaching is educational. It's motivational, inspirational, and they don't have to go to an office and feel weird about it. You know, coaching works great for teens as well as adults. But is, and, and your personal opinion about the, 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 the human being for one person? Um, you know, I don't really want to say. All I can say is what's best for kids and families. Okay. Um, you know, back in the day, long ago, humans only lived to 30 years old. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's when it was good to have one partner and they worked together to bring crops mm -hmm. in or feed the family or support the family financially or the mom was at home while the dad worked. You know, this was supposedly the best way for family systems to be. Now we're living to 90, you know, so you got to keep it happy. I look at my brother and sister-in-law who've been happily together for over 40 years, you know, raising two boys very successfully. So, yeah, I think that's amazing when two people can have a great life and a lot of fun together. You okay. know, so that's the ideal, I still believe. Now, um, in terms of communication, I mean, if um, assume you have a situation that, um, and it's a very typical classic, uh, the typ there are two cl typical classical cases, I assume, um, which are the average one ones, is that you have one person in the relationship, the, the father, for instance, is yelling at the mother, and the mother is saying nothing, that's one, uh, and then you have, of course, the, the relationship where the mother is more the dominant and the father is, is emotionally really disconnected and he's like, and he doesn't say anything. I think that's the typical case. In the, in the first case about the shouting thing, I mean, um, chances are big that you think that this is the normal communication between partners. Mm, it's not. Cor you should never be yelling at your partner unless they're in harm's way. Then you yell, watch out. The problem is, people are not taught how to communicate. My first degree from Penn State is in speech communications. So I re-educate everyone how to talk through issues and problems, whether they're married or in an exclusive relationship. They have to learn to express their feelings in a proactive, not reactive way. Super important. But when you're growing up in a household, there's, there could be two partners, mom and dad, both yelling at each other. This will be a partner that tends to yell at their future wife or husband because mm -hmm. they learned when we have a problem, we yell at each other. That's what they learned. That was what was normalized. If someone shuts down, that's what we call passive behavior. 
Now, indeed, if the mom is afraid of the husband because he's bigger and stronger, she will tend to get quiet. She will probably have tried to defend herself, but over time, she's like, the hell with it. He's just going to get madder and angrier. I'm not going to say anything. So that person in that home learns passive, um, passive behavior will save you. So if there's a little girl growing up and watching mom do it, she's going to shut down and can't find her voice. If there's a little boy growing up and the father's yelling and screaming, and if he tries to stand up to defend his mom and he gets whacked, he's probably going to be a man that shuts down and might become passive aggressive. But he's not in tune with expressing his feelings because it was not modeled growing up. And this is the problem. So people are either passive aggressive, they shut down, or they're again externalizers and they yell and they scream. Neither one is good. They have to learn to calmly and with love express their feelings, work as a team to work out the problems, and move on. And this is a lot of what I do for my couples, and I do work with both couples and singles. Um, but I have to fix these toxic behavioral patterns mm -hmm. that came from the norms of growing up. Mm -hmm. Now, very often, women tend to be people pleasers. They mm -hmm. saw that modeled in their moms. And these are the women that come to me really burn out, overdue for their partners to keep him happy or calm, um, feels resentful because they're working and doing everything in the house. The husband does nothing and they're burnt out and they're just feel not appreciated, right? So this people pleasing, we have to reteach to get the boundaries, learn, have them learn to speak up for themselves and have more balance in life. A lot of men become impulsive. Um, impulsivity is one of the top things that ruin relationships. That could be a, a guy or woman coming from a poor home and they say, wow, I want that shiny red sports car. I'm not discussing this with my husband or wife. I'm just getting it because I work hard and I deserve it. So that's that impulse buyer spender who also could equate love. This is what a hoarder does. A hoarder has childhood trauma, and they learned to have things is love. So when they buy things, it makes them feel good or feel loved for a period of time. Some other things that come up is uh, lying and manipulation. This comes from probably a male um, toxic uh, parent that usually punishes severely or an alcoholic home. So you got that 50-50 chance as a kid. Well, if I lie, I may not get beat. So they learn to lie mm. expertly or charm and manipulate to get away with something and not get punished. So this is where lying and manipulation comes from. Jealousy and control usually comes from trauma number two and seven. Seven, again, is not feeling good enough, pretty enough, smart enough. Mm -hmm. Trauma two is those verbal messages of no compliments, uh, hearing messages instead of change your clothes, you look fat in that, or I'm not sending you in college and wasting my money on you. You'll never amount to anything. These kind of verbal put downs lead to not feeling good enough, which could mean even though your partner does everything to make you feel secure, you can still feel jealous and want to try to control your partner. Um, Another thing that happens with models, actors, singers, dancers, and I work with a lot of celebrities, is what we mm -hmm. call imposter syndrome. And this is they work really hard to make it, 
And very often, um, like I were, have worked with a couple comedians and they were the funny kid to make mom laugh when she was depressed or, you know, the critical and controlling. If she could make her smile, she then loved her child. So they became comedians. But a lot of comedians come from very depressed, um, critical, angry homes. They learn to be the class clown to get their teacher's attention or to mm -hmm. have friends in school. So using a lot of humor can be that, um, or the imposter syndrome is you finally make it in your career and then you self-sabotage with alcohol or drugs uh, because you feel like you don't deserve it. So this shows up in so many ways. It could also be blaming behavior, not accepting responsibility, not having the ability to apologize. Mm -hmm. And this is when we get into the higher ranges of more traumas and more severity, the narcissist, the sociopath, and the psychopath. Yeah, that was my next question, actually. I mean, narcissism, um, I hear it a lot. I hear it a lot for the last year, um, especially from especially for women. I mean, I assume I'm not a narcissist, but I mean, where does it, where where does that come from? Um, it's it's typical male. How can you detect a narcissist, or can you not detect one? Yeah, it's like seventy five percent male, twenty five percent female. Um, with sociopathy, I'll explain the difference between the three. The highest, most dangerous is psychopath. One okay. underneath, less severe is sociopath, less severe is narcissist. There mm -hmm. are 10 types of narcissists, everything from a healthy narcissist that helps out people, volunteers a lot, but they're very self-focused on that. But they're not harming anyone. The one that's a harmful narcissist, the worst end of the scale is called malignant narcissist. And both the psychopath and the sociopath is a malignant narcissist. The difference between psychopath and sociopath is um, the psychopath is more criminal mind. They will take time to rip someone off like a Bernie Madoff, um, calculating, criminal, ripping people up, no apology, blames everyone else. It's always someone else's fault. And also the psychopath will kill without remorse. So that's why they are the worst. The sociopath is also emotionally void. They don't have empathy for someone else's feelings. They do what they want without thinking about anyone else. It's all about them. If they make a mistake, they won't apologize. They'll turn around and blame the other person. This is sociopath. Both have the superficial charm. Both are master manipulators. Uh, both are pathological liars. Again, no remorse, no guilt. Uh, emotionally shallow, um, need of a lot of stimulation. They're really prone to boredom. They can be in trouble when they're young people, you know, juvenile delinquency. They don't really have a lot of realistic long-term goals. They have a lot of toxic, repetitive relationships. Uh, poor behavior controls, usually very promiscuous sexually. Um, you know, no remorse over cheating. They, again, will turn around and blame their partner. Uh, but again, the difference between is the calculating, cunning criminal mind between the, the psychopath and sociopath. And so when you're dating, how can you dis how soon can you discover that, uh, that you're dating? Well, when you're properly trained in dating with my people, they know in date one or two. 
I have a series of questions that my clients will ask, not like a job interview, just casual conversation, but they know the 10 traumas, they know the severity levels, and just by what the the date says, they can make their own assessments. So for an example, if you'd like to hear how this works, um, I had a woman in her 50s, you know, make contact online, met the guy, she said, at first I was very excited, was very handsome, pulled out the chair, got me a drink and also asked me if I'd like something to eat. So very attentive. That was cool. So our first question is, so tell me about your mom and dad. Are they still living? Because they're in their late 50s, right? So he's there, well, my dad was an alcoholic. So right away she was concerned. And he drank most of my young life. and, um, And he could get nasty, verbally nasty. But he quit when I was 10. And he really tried to be a better father. We did things together like camping and hunting and fishing. Mm -hmm. So he more than made up for that. So then that's showing childhood trauma healed, right? He had a good Mm -hmm. relationship and the father died. He goes, but my mother, she was an alcoholic too. And she was a mean and nasty drunk. She's in an old folks home. If I didn't have to visit her, I wouldn't. I hate seeing that bill coming in every month. So right in that way, we define that, according to my book, as a mother hater. If a man hates his mom and he has not solved this problem, as an adult, he will be verbally and emotionally abusive 9.5 out of 10 times to the wife or the exclusive female partner. So this is a huge red flag for a woman. So, you know, they ended the date. She gave it some thoughts. She processed it with me and she goes, Right away, like my heart started racing. This is like a one and done date. Like, I don't want to explore this further. So he called the next day. She goes, you know, it was really nice meeting you. I just don't think we're quite a match. And I wish you the best of luck. And he starts yelling at her. Yelling? She kind of just laughs because my people become very confident. They don't take any of this personal. She goes, you know what? I don't take verbal abuse. I'm going to hang up and I wish you well. She hung up and she blocked the guy. So she would never hear from him again. So, I mean, we know right away. They know the signs of what is healthy, emotionally healthy, and what is emotionally toxic. And then we, you know, so we date with full conscious awareness. Now, um, can I ask how young you are? How young I am? That's a great way to put it. Yeah, I'm 63. Okay. Now, um, if we could back in time. Um, and we would meet uh, Rihanna when she's 18. Of all the lessons, the life lessons, all the wisdom that you gathered, what what kind of advice would you give her in terms of love? Um, well, you know, my life abruptly changed psychologically for me when I was 16. My very best childhood friend was killed by a drunk driver. So it made me question how much time do I have in life? I started reading the spiritual master. So I was learning mindset work in my teens and my 20s. I turned spiritual. I studied the Course of Miracles um, Mm -hmm. in my 20s. I went to ACIM groups. Um, So I wish I knew the childhood trauma piece. I can look back in my life and identify what my traumas were and why I picked the partners I did. But this information just did not exist. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm very proud of who I am. I'm a great mom. My daughters are very successful. Um, and they have great marriages. They picked wonderful men and I have five grandkids and one on the way. So I have a very blessed life. 
Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I look back at myself with a lot of compassion. You know, I worked hard. I divorced their father when the, my kids were like three and four. So I okay. worked very hard as a single mom. My first husband was a sociopath. He ripped off my mother $200,000, which back then is like a half a million dollars. And mm-hmm. I was left with that debt at 24 with two little girls and yet was able to provide a house for my kids by 29 and a second property for my model and talent business. So, you know, I look back at my life with a lot of pride and we can't pick our life journey, but we can pick what happens to us and the mindset for success will help you um, excel no matter what difficult transformation or transition you have in life, Mm -hmm. right? So this is why I teach the mindset for success and became certified as a mindset coach. Because this is a big part of the healing of the childhood trauma, any love abuse you've gone through, any childhood trauma that's still not healed. We need all these techniques that I've learned over 40 years. And they work great with my models and actors, singers, dancers, too, because they were in a small town initially. Then I, I New York firm bought me out, so I had two locations. But they were told, like, what are you going to you think you can be an actor? That's a joke. You know, or I had a plus size model and our families are, you're too fat. You know, you're throwing your money away being a model. And she ends up being a Ford special size model, making a fortune, Mm -hmm. you know, and my auto mechanic who all his buddies at the shop were laughing at him. Yeah. You're going to be an actor. Big joke. Ends up on Baywatch, a very popular show here in the USA. And, you know, so you can reach your dreams and goals. And that was my job in my twenties. So I've been doing the Mindset for Success for a very long time, and I love transforming lives. But now that we have the childhood trauma piece and we can heal that, Mm. this just sets people on a major uh, excelling level. Now you can... You can be very proud of what you have achieved and more, more the, the people you have helped and had and impacted their lives. Now, I mean, I love the mindset thing. Eh? Don't get me wrong. And I also believe that it's not enough. You should also work on the emotional and the spiritual uh, side of things. Otherwise, it will not last you mentioned you you spirituality is a big part of my program and a lot of people come here hurt by religion it's totally different from religion spirituality is a way of living 24 7 it's who you are as a person a person of integrity kindness um conscious thinking you know so that spiritual component is very important for healing and growth and confidence to move forward and take calculated risks you know, in growth in business. So imagine there's a couple and um, one of the two persons is becoming attractive, attracted and is studying uh, like a course in miracles and is going uh, Buddhism, all the masters, everything, Taoism, everything that he or she can find, but the partner does not follow. So the one person is talking about energy, consciousness, awareness, um, uh, raising vibration, uh, inter, um, even enlightenment. I mean, that's a, uh, that's a very big thing, but mm, you know, the thrill, the other part, the other person is like, what kind of bullshit is that? I mean, I mean, it isn't even logic. What, what the hell are you doing? Can such a relationship survive? 
usually not, in my opinion. Uh, mm -hmm. Spiritual people should definitely seek out spiritual people uh, so that they travel in their journey in life together and have the same beliefs. I think that's very important. Um, again, like I said, the study shows people of spirituality together that practice faith together have the happiest and longest lasting relationships. And, and, and why is that? Is that because that they see a relationship as an invitation for growth and that they and every trigger that they have, that it's about them, not about the other person. So they can reflect on themselves and say, oh, I was triggered by that. Uh, what 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 it, it, it says something about me. Instead of, and, you know, and spiritual also, people accept responsibility. We apologize quickly if we make a mistake. We always try to do better. We're into personal self growth. Um, we want peace in life and happiness. We're always striving for that. We're always studying more to be better evolved people. Again, being your highest and your best self. So, two people with that same mindset of course, will be the happiest relationship. So if you are spiritually based, make sure you have a spiritually based partner when you're out there dating. I don't care about all the chemistry in the world. It means nothing. If you have someone that's going to totally not be what you're into, that's going to be an issue. An interesting one. Um, that's an interesting one about the chemistry. I mean, a lot of people, I won't, I'm not going to generalize and talk about uh, women, but just people. Yeah, I saw him, her, and immediately I was attracted physically. There was some kind of aura, some kind of, I don't know. I mean, for me, it's great, but it doesn't work. Second, the second question about it. Um, do you need to fall in love to have a healthy relation, a happy relationship? Because the falling in love part combined with the attractiveness is, is that kind of, yeah. Well, it's that fast falling in love. Like yeah. on a first date, when someone says, I'm in love with you already, it's like, whoa, uh, why? You don't even know me. You know, then, you know, they're just falling in love with the physical part. That's no good. Because what happens when you age? What, you're not hot and young anymore? Mm. So, I mean, yes, you, you have to have an attraction factor. I mean, you're going to end up making love with this person. So you have to be somewhat attracted. But when you take your time and fall in love with them as a great friend and you really like who they are as a person and you respect them and uh, you have mutual admiration for maybe each other's career and mm -hmm. you're proud of them, right, as a person, as a human being, that's love. That's the kind of love you have for a best friend. And, you and, love your best friend. You get along. And, you have things in common, right? And, and you're growing with your best friend. There's fidelity, there's trust, there's honesty. These are the important factors um, that help a relationship be happy. If and, you don't and, and, have them, you're going to get in trouble down the road. And um, then the, the integrity is doing the right things when nobody's looking. Yeah. That's the trust factor. Yeah. You know, common interests, hobbies, um, being able to compromise and negotiate your differences in a loving, mm -hmm. peaceful way. Mm -hmm. You're both balanced. You both, I call it the, the couple's triangle where it's you, me, and us. Mm -hmm. So you have your individual time that includes work and maybe working out and some time with friends. But that us piece is also large. So you're spending enough time and you're, you're 
Again, making sure you show up for your partner in a positive way. Mm-hmm. Um, you're flexible. You have open mind, caring, easygoing. You know, no moodiness, jealousy, rage. That will destroy a relationship. That mood mm. management is super important. Yeah. That, that <laughs> interesting. Um I find it very interesting. I mean, but there is still a myth that, um, and it's popularized by media, culture in US and, and Europe, because Ale, I think practically we're seeing the same movies, especially nowadays with internet. Um, and um, yeah, but you can see it. You can you can notice it. Um, I mean, you have the thing called, yeah, but you're in the friend zone. And I think that, so you, what you're saying, that it's just the other way around. I mean, the friend zone is okay. What they are referring to, yeah, the fre- what they are referring to the friend zone is a guy who is pleasing the girl too much and is lowering his standards in order that she would like him. If you call that the friend zone, okay, but so the, the friend zone for you thing is is that's that's the perfect base foundation to start a relationship. Yeah, no, I don't see the guy overdoing. It's like a mutual uh, love, respect. You know, it's like a best friend. You really enjoy hanging out with each other. You're each other's buddy, you know, and that is the best way to fall in love. You really like the person and then you love who they are, right? You love their character. Yeah, you love their character. That Yeah, that's the thing. And there are actually no expectations. Yeah. I mean, if indeed you move on to marry, they would be a great parent. You know, you can see mm. the traits that they would be a great loving parent, a stable parent. You know, so things like that, you know, if if you see early on they're drinking a lot, you don't want someone that's an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. But this takes time because people usually hide that initially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is why, you know, you take your time, you get to know someone over time. And I got to tell you, our world is becoming crazy. I call it since Viagra. It's the hookup culture. Even in my age group, it's like, are you serious? You haven't grown up yet? You know, they're looking to hook up on the first, second date. It's like, this is ridiculous. Um, And you see the emotional immaturity in that. So, you know, and, and a big sign of that is online where my ladies are saying, The men say, must have chemistry. I'll know when you show up if we're moving forward. And it's like analyzing what do they look like and is he turned on? And then maybe he'll see you a second time. I mean, those kind of profiles, my ladies are like, ick, and just like move on. It's Mm -hmm. like, who are you as a person? What Mm -hmm. is your work? Are you a father? Do you have a great relationship with your kids? You know, do you do work that you're proud of because you spend 40 hours at least a week there or do you hate your job? I mean, we want to know the character of someone, Mm. right? You know, um, and then they go into all the sports they do. What sports tell a woman? Well, I have no time for you because I'm at, you know, watching sports with my buddies all weekend. So we're not impressed by sports, you know, so it's like, who are you as a person? So all the men out there, you know, write a profile that shows and highlights you and your character as a man. That's what women and, want to know. And a last question, because we're going over time, I find it so interesting. Do do you do you believe? And it's a general statement, eh? Because I I am a little convinced of that statement, and I'm going to shock some people here, but I'm convinced that yes, the women 
they also need to work on themselves and heal them. 100% I agree. But I really think that we're moving in a situation where the men even needs to do more work in terms of engaging and connecting with with uh, with women. I mean, I'm not talking about an heterosexual environment. Um, in terms of expressing emotions, it's again that healing thing, is that trauma thing. And I think th- there lies the biggest work. And that's something I see with a lot of men because what they perceive as male is not male really. It's a, it's a kind of a popularized version of male, that ju- like the thing you just described, uh, because I see it when I feel you, or when I, I know when I, I see you. Uh, or the men thing. saying on the first date, you should know I'm really highly sexual. I'm like, oh, okay, so that's his focus. Next. You know, you don't say that on a first date. You know, things yeah. like that, like, really? Us women aren't impressed. Yeah, I know, but, yeah, but I know, but these men need help. Yes. Yes. And, and I only, you know, when we were growing up, we didn't see our grandparents or parents' generation acting like that. There was actually courtship, people mm-hmm. dating for a while to get to know each other before no. hopping into bed. What happened to courtship? And the thing is, us women have to say, this does not work. Mm-hmm. And when all the women say, no, thanks, not interested, this does not work for me. This is the empowered women that I send out in dating world. Then they are meeting the evolved, emotionally healthy men. And yep. they're finding them. It is a numbers game. It's, unfortunately, it seems yeah, yeah. to be fewer and fewer. But they know exactly what to look for, and they will not settle for this shallow, emotional man. And, you know, I'm starting to get more and more men here at my practice, which I love that. Because when they're done, they're so incredible as people. I'm like, oh, my God, I wish I could clone you and have 100 men out there just like you for all the women that want a genuine guy that's loving and kind, can speak his feelings without yelling Mm -hmm. and screaming or intimidating and, you know, be supportive and be a partner with the kids and a partner Mm -hmm. in the house and a partner in work. Right. And have the same goals and yet spiritual as well. That's what women want. Yeah. And as a closing line, men, work on yourselves. That's what women want. Rihanna, thanks a lot. I really enjoyed our conversation. Me too, Peter. And I want to encourage uh, your listeners to, if they want more information on childhood trauma, just go to my website. It's my name, rihannamilne.com. And the free ebook is there. I have the four free love tests. Um, book chapter downloads of Love Beyond Your Dreams and Live Beyond Your Dreams, which is about the mindset for success are meant to go together. And my podcast is called Lessons in Life and Love with Coach Rihanna Milne. Lots of free advice there and on my YouTube channel. So cool. help yourselves, guys. Yeah, but you, I, will, I, will, I will mention everything. I will mention everything in the show notes, Rihanna. Okay? Take care and all the best. Eh? Thank you, Peter. Thanks for having me today. Hey, it's Peter here. Thanks a lot for listening to What's On Your Mind. Looking forward to your opinions and comments. And don't forget to subscribe on psgrow.com and leave your email address to stay tuned for future episodes. Bye.